continue our little series in Matthew looking at the cross. We started with the betrayals, most memorably by Judas, as he gave Jesus up to the authorities. We looked at the betrayal of the religious leaders who should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, not because there was some mystical knowledge that they should have had. They knew the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament promises that a Messiah would come and he would do all these things. And who did all those things? It was Jesus. The religious leaders betrayed him. Peter betrayed him by denying him those three times. Last week we looked at the crucifixion, the horrors of our sin. You know, we take sin so lightly, don't we? We sin so often without thinking, without even recognizing that we've done it after the fact. But to realize what that sin cost through the beating and crucifixion of our Savior. This week we look more at, more, more fulfillment of Scripture, we've been looking at that all along, how Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled so many passages of the Old Testament. Um, we're going to look at the miracles that happened at the time of Jesus' death and his, and his burial. Our big idea this morning is God verified the sacrifice of Jesus. Another way of putting that was God put his, his seal of approval verifying that Jesus' sacrifice was real. So I hope you'll see that as we uh, break down this passage today. So join me in, in Matthew 27. We'll begin reading in verses 51 through 66. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Je Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. 
Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Let's pray. Father, bless your word as we take it in this morning. Bless us as we mull over these many truths, these many evidences of the fact of Jesus' sacrifice and the, the miraculous nature of it. So Father, I ask that you would overshadow our thoughts, that you would permeate our hearts this morning, that your word might take root and change us once more. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. Have you ever tried to relay to someone a story about something that happened to you and, and the details just aren't landing? They just don't understand why you found this event so interesting or, or exciting or scary. You're telling the story and you finally give up and say, well, you just had to be there. Because they weren't first-hand witnesses, they just don't get it. Here's an example of something that I could say to you that almost no one in here is going to know. If I say the rope broke, the bell rang, the man died, there are a handful of people that immediately upon saying that are going to light up and go, I remember that. And the rest of you are like, what? Crickets. Without having witnessed the event, and I'm not going to tell you the story, by the way, that's for another time. Without having witnessed the event or understanding why this was a special thing, a story is just often that. It's just a story, and sometimes those stories are confusing, like the way I have effectively confused some of you this morning. Matthew records for us a variety of evidence that God orchestrated events as evidence that God orchestrated to verify the unique sacrifice of Jesus. The four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the order that they were written in. Matthew is the first one to have been written. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written before A.D. 62, the year A.D. 62. Um, Jesus died around A.D. 32, 32, 33, somewhere in there. So that means these Gospels were all written within 30 years of Jesus' crucifixion. In fact, Matthew, we believe, was written less than a decade after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a lot of boring details, I know, but it serves a point. The point is, at the time that the Gospel of Matthew was written, there were plenty of eyewitnesses to the events that Matthew wrote about concerning the crucifixion who were still alive. Right? That's important. There were plenty of people who were there. The Gospel of Matthew would never had survived had the faithful of the time not known for certain that these things actually took place. Right? So this was written in a time close enough to the events of the crucifixion that were these things not true, the book of Matthew would have never survived. 
It's true that sometimes to understand an event, you just have to be there. But in this case, there's enough evidence and there's enough writing that we can trust those who were there. Here's some of the things the people who were there witnessed as we go through our passage. Actually, if you back up to verse 45, there was this supernatural darkness uh, as, as Jesus has been crucified. Uh, it says that from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. So from the time that Jesus is nailed to the cross until he gives up his spirit, until he, his body dies, there is this supernatural darkness all over the land. We didn't really talk much about that last week because it fits with what we're talking about this week. But nature proclaimed the specialness of Jesus' death. There was darkness over the land. The second natural phenomenon that God coordinated to coincide with the death of Jesus Christ was an earthquake. Verse 51, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split. Now, to understand, well, let me just keep reading, lest I get completely out of my outline. Uh, the tombs were also opened, the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The actual order of events in this verse comes across a little quirky in English. There was an earthquake. During this earthquake, the curtain of the temple, the veil was torn in two. During this same event, rocks were split, and I'm not talking about little stones that, that we have. We're talking about major structures of stone were split. Uh, some of these stones were the massive stones that would seal off tombs. It says verse 52, the tombs also were open. And then, spoiler alert, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, then also many of the saints were resurrected from the dead in these now open tombs. Now, depending on the English translation you have, it comes across a little different in there as though uh, these saints were resurrected and made alive when Jesus died, but then didn't actually get out of the tomb until Sunday. That's not the order of events. Uh, but all this to say, we, and, and we know that for sure by, trans, by interpreting Scripture with other Scripture, Paul makes it clear that uh, the first of these resurrections was Jesus and not these other saints. By the way, I've always wanted to know what happened to the rest of these saints. Were they like Lazarus and they had to die again? Or uh, were they uh, just, and w when was that? Was that a few days later? Was that weeks later? Was that months and years? The scripture doesn't tell us, so I apologize for even starting you down that rabbit trail. Um, the fact of the matter is, uh, there's so much going on that those details weren't actually important to the, the gospel writers. As fantastic as it is to think about these people coming out of the graves after Jesus did on Sunday, the greater event than all these other saints being resurrected, the greater event is the tearing of the curtain in the temple. 
This veil of the temple was actually a series of curtains that were uh, layered in and overlapping each other so that there was uh, a curtain the thickness of a hand breadth. So a few inches thick was this curtain that separated the holiest place uh, where the the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God uh, to separate this room from the rest of the temple. So special was this room that anyone who might go inside it would die immediately. This curtain being a series of curtains, uh, made it so that the priests could maintain it. They could remove layers and repair them or replace them and put them back without ever actually having the room exposed. So once this temple was built, this is the, the second temple, once this temple was built and the curtain established and the, the holy place uh, established and the presence of God entered it, no one had gone in it except that annual entrance by the high priest. It had never been opened again. And now, all of a sudden, at the, t- the death of Jesus, this curtain keeping God physically separated, the, the, the manifest presence of God physically separated from the people was now torn up, torn into. In fact, Matthew says specifically, torn into from top to bottom, leaving... Uh, leaving no room for imagination. This room was now open. He could have, if he had just said, well, the curtain was torn, well, people could have taken that to mean a particular layer or, or something like that. But no, Matthew makes it clear, this room was now open. Once the sacrifice on the cross was complete, This curtain keeping God set apart from the people was no longer needed. In fact, the presence of God had left the temple. Amazingly, the Jews for another 40 years continued to follow the rituals of the temple, but God had left. Why? because the temple was a picture. It was a shadow of the reality and Jesus had completed the real thing. So we have these, uh, what we would call natural events or physical events that have happened that all verify that something very special was going on. Something very significant was happening as Jesus was being crucified. We have uh, the, the veil being rent, we have the earthquake, we have the darkness, we have the, the tombs being opened, the rocks split. We also have the testimony of witnesses, people who were there and saw what was happening. These witnesses testified to his deity and to his literal death. Verse 54, we have the centurion. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Nothing more was known about this guard. Uh, Much like the saints that are resurrected from these tombs that have been opened, we don't know much about them. We don't know much about this guard other than he is uh, guarding the tomb. He is not a follower of Jesus. We know this uh, because he is the one guarding the tomb. He's probably not a Jew. This is probably a Roman soldier. Therefore, he would not have had the, the teaching about the Messiah 
how he would be cut off from his people. He didn't have that background. Uh, He was a military leader from the army of Rome. He was a leader from this occupying force in Israel. And I'm saying all that not because any, any of that is is specifically important, but, but altogether we recognize that if there was an unbiased third-party assessment of what was going on, this would be the guy. He didn't really have a dog in this fight. He was doing his job. His assessment of what took place and others who were with him, his conclusion was truly this was the Son of God. Was this a confession of saving faith? It may well have been. It absolutely may have been. I don't really know. I can't prove it either way, and that's not really the point. The point is this. Those who witnessed these events, the supernatural darkness, the earthquake, the splitting of the rocks, the opening of the tombs, all these events pointed to Jesus being the Son of God, and here this this guard, just doing his job, recognized that indeed this must have been who he said he was. Verses 55 and 56, we see, we see a couple Marys and some other ladies. These women become key witnesses of the empty tomb, but that's for next week. So just hold on to that and we'll keep going. We've got the testimony from these physical events. We have the testimony of the witnesses who saw the crucifixion. Did I say that he was guarding the tomb? That was incorrect. I should not have been saying that. The centurion was one of the guards at the crucifixion. And now we have the testimony of his burial. Jesus' burial is the fulfillment of prophecy and proves a literal death. Why did Matthew include that Joseph was a rich man? It's verse 57. There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Well, first of all, it explains why he would have an unused tombs. Uh, Poor people didn't have tombs. Only people of means had tombs. And not only did he have a tomb, he had a tomb that didn't have anybody in it. So this wasn't uh, a family plot or something because tombs would be used that way. They would, they would be purchased and then uh, whoever in the family would pass would be, would be laid into that tomb and, and several people could occupy uh, this tomb. These, these were carved out of, uh, of the hill or they would be natural caves. Had Joseph not been rich, this t- he would not have had this tomb available to him. Secondly, had Joseph not been rich, Isaiah 53 would not have been fulfilled. Isaiah 53, verse 9, And they made his grave, speaking of the Messiah, foretold centuries before, and they made his grave with the wicked. That would be the other two who were crucified the same time with Jesus. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. There have always been deniers of Jesus' death. Some would say that he was just in a coma or simply unconscious for a time. To deny the literal death of Jesus is to misunderstand all the details of what the Romans would do in beating and crucifying an individual. Uh, They were quite talented at making living people dead. And they knew that Jesus 
was dead when he was taken down from the cross. Some would say this whole thing was a ruse perpetrated by his followers to trick people, that they somehow snuck the body away, which takes us to the last paragraph of today's passage, beginning in verse 62. Rome itself testified that Jesus' followers could not fake a resurrection. You see that here? The next day, verse 62, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So the day of preparation is what we would call Friday. What were they preparing for? The Sabbath. Uh, anytime you read about the day of preparation in the scripture, that's talking about the day before the Sabbath. Why was it preparation? Because they couldn't work on the Sabbath. Uh, even cooking. So they would prepare everything that they needed to have done for the Sabbath on Friday. So on Saturday, this meeting is taking place. This conversation is happening. Verse 63. And they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Um, Pilate, in saying you have a guard of soldiers, he's not so much saying you have soldiers. He's saying here, here's soldiers. You have them. They're under your control. So that's what's happening here. It was Roman guards who were guarding the tomb and making it secure. Jesus' enemies, these the, the zealous religious leaders of the Jewish community appeared to have won, right? I mean, there's no greater victory than your enemy being dead. They had sought to have Jesus killed, and they managed to pull it off. At least that's, I mean, from their perspective. From their perspective, they had won. But even so, they were smart enough to know that if Jesus' friends could fake an empty tomb, then their problems of, uh, of these people following, the, following Jesus and his teaching, their problems would actually grow exponentially if, if it got out that there was this empty tomb. And the only, uh, I mean, it's not hard to do. I mean, to make an empty tomb, you just take the body out. That's all they would have to do. So knowing that this is a possibility, that uh, that there could be people trying to fake this resurrection. They do everything that they can think of, humanly possible, to make sure that Jesus' body stays in the tomb. We have the events in nature that God orchestrated right as the crucifixion was happening, proving that something special was going on now special can also mean terrifying I'm not sure that that earthquake was not terrifying i'm sure it was i'm sure the darkness was actually terrifying but god coordinated all these events of nature to prove that jesus's death meant something more than just a criminal being executed he coordinated the witnesses, those who uh, were third-party bystanders observing what was going on, seeing how Jesus acted, how, uh, how he responded, and how all these events coordinated with his death. 
And their conclusion was, surely this is the Son of God. And then to make sure that, that the, the resurrection couldn't be faked, he employs soldiers. God employed soldiers to guard the tomb so that should people question, was, was it a grave robbery or was it something else, there were witnesses. Today, you and I are witnesses of the resurrection. Not because we saw it, not because we were there, by the way, you didn't have to be there, but because we have the evidence of Scripture of those who were. You and I meeting on Sunday is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we may not necessarily think of that, we think of next Sunday as being Resurrection Sunday. But every Sunday is a commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the Lord's Day prior to the res resurrection of Jesus Christ was always Saturday. That's why they prepared on Friday. Maybe we should put in our lexicon the day of preparation and make sure Saturday is set aside a little bit more so that we're ready for Sunday. You and I are now witnesses to tell the world around us that Jesus died for our sins. That he didn't stay dead. You know, nature throws some spurious events at us from time to time. We saw it this week. Just terrible tornadoes. But the things that happened around Jesus' crucifixion, I mean, unexplained darkness, that's one thing. By itself probably wouldn't mean much. An earthquake is one thing. By itself probably doesn't mean much. Something going funky inside the temple, okay, that's significant. But by itself, eh, okay, I don't know. If you read Jewish literature, there's weird things that happen in the temple from time to time. I read about how after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the doors of the temple would just automatically open. You're not going to find that in Scripture. The Jewish people wrote about it, though. For the rest of the time that the temple was in order, after Jesus' death, doors of the temple just opened by themselves. Now, you and I go to grocery stores. We we're used to that. That was different for them. But any of these, take all these, these things happening all centered on the death of Christ, and God has made a very compelling case that we can't miss. The people who declared Jesus must really be the Son of God, and then go, go later on in history, how those who established the church, the, the apostles, uh, all but one of them were murdered for their faith, martyred, for their faith, and the, the hundreds and thousands of Christians throughout history who have been killed for their faith, who were given opportunity to say, no, I don't actually think Jesus died and rose again, who could have lived out their natural life but chose to die instead. Why? Because they're witnesses like you and I are today. Add to this the security that Rome established around this grave. And the only conclusion that we can come to is that 
the scripture is right. Jesus' death was a very special sacrifice. And next week, his resurrection is very real. I'm working really hard to keep the resurrection out of this sermon, and it's just not working. God verified the sacrifice of Jesus in so many ways. The question is then, do you believe? There's some in here that probably don't. Maybe you don't believe because you don't realize that this sacrifice was because of your sin that, that, that you needed this sacrifice. Or maybe you have doubts because you doubt the evidence that Jesus really did live on this earth or really did die and rise again. If you're curious, then run with it. Don't be satisfied to not know Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you doubt, don't be satisfied with your doubt. Okay, dig. You can dig by asking me to point you in some directions or ask Pastor Dan or, or, or commit yourself to reading Scripture. Because if, you, if you're genuinely doubting, God promises that if you seek him through his word, he will reveal himself to you. Do you believe? Some of you don't. But some of you do. Praise the Lord. For those of us who do believe, may the details of Jesus' crucifixion and the evidence that, that he was truly dead motivate us to take our remaining sin seriously because his death was the payment for our sin. Jesus took our sin seriously, so seriously that he was willing to lay down his life for us and he did lay down his life for us. Make that mean something to you. Make that evident in how you live this life. Put off sin the sins of lying and self-centeredness and pride and anger and all those things that, that are just normal reactions in our life. Put those off. Replace them with the virtues of truth and selflessness and humility and everything else that God calls fruit of righteousness. Put effort into growing in the Lord. As the physical body languishes when it's not nourished, so also your soul languishes when it's not nourished with the word of God. I trust that this series has helped us remember afresh the, the horrors of the cross, but also to reinvigorate a focus in our lives to live worthy of that sacrifice. You know that by that I don't mean that you should live in a way that you could earn your salvation. That is never what I mean because that's not what scripture teaches. But what I mean is that if we recognize what Jesus did for us, that ought to motivate us to live like he lived. To pursue the priorities that he pursued and not priorities that 
that the world lays out for us or that we might come up with ourselves. Would you pray with me? Father, most of us don't think much about the many details surrounding this horrible day, the crucifixion, and this, this day after where there was no Jesus. Most of us don't like to think about how horrible our sin is to require such a dramatic, intense sacrifice for us. God the Son slain for my sin. Lord, when we sin, remind us the cost to remove that sin from us was the very life of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that these truths of Scripture would motivate us to live for you. That these truths of Scripture would, for the unsaved, breathe life into them today. And for the believers, that, they, that these truths would reinvigorate us. Father, you've given us what we need to live for you. It's, it's, it's your word, it's your church, it's your Holy Spirit. So Father, help us to take full advantage of every piece that you've given us so that we might indeed grow, that we might be witnesses to a lost world around us, that we might be uh, the encouragement that we need to be of one another. So Father, we thank you for the, the passage that, that you've laid on my heart this week that you have uh, presented to us today that we might grow this week as we reflect on your goodness to us in Jesus' name.